The Sooners picked up another crystal ball for a five-star prospect and a lot of news happening in the administrative side. We'll discuss that coming up on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On for $20 off your first purchase over at Game Time. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also follow the show on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram at Locked On Sooners. Josh, uh, the big news is Jonah Williams. That's going to be the storyline that everybody's following up until signing day because he is a coveted prospect across the country, the five-star safety linebacker, cheetah hybrid player that is just straight-up playmaker on the defensive side of the football. Well, Mike Roach of 247 Sports, formerly a Texas recruiting insider uh, down in the central Texas area, he issued a crystal ball favoring the Oklahoma Sooners. Now that joins Steve Wiltfong, the director of football recruiting for 247 Sports, uh, who issued a crystal ball favoring the Sooners, I think just two weeks ago, actually, and joining several Oklahoma insiders favoring Oklahoma in this recruitment. So, I mean, all signs from within and without pointing towards the Oklahoma Sooners landing the five-star prospect, Jonah Williams. Generally speaking, it's a pretty strong indication if a Steve Wiltfong tosses a prediction out there. But uh, yeah, the more names that you toss into the equation that feel some sort of way about a recruitment makes you you feel better. And uh, it was two weeks ago when when Wiltfong tossed his initial crystal ball out there. So yeah, it seems like uh, all signs are pointing to yes for Oklahoma. Obviously, don't count... uh, all the uh, eggs before they hatch for OU got to get the commitment. Then obviously you keep recruiting until signing day, but it looks like feels like Oklahoma's big time trending for someone that we've uh, talked about before here on locked on Sooners, John, but somebody in Jonah Williams, that to me is a no doubt. It looks like future NFL talent at some point down the road. If he continues on the trajectory that it looks like he's on right now. Yeah, he's one of those players that just makes the game look easy at the high school level. And I think that's going to be something that translates, obviously, to the college level. If you're a playmaker, a lot of times it's just because you have an instinct for making plays. And if you go look his highlight at his highlight tape, I mean, it is littered with a dude that just makes plays on the football as a tackler. I mean, he he's able to high point the ball in the air. It looks like a natural hands catcher could probably start at wide receiver for a number of colleges across the country because he's just that good of an athlete. But as a tackler, I mean, he gets downhill in a hurry, which to me shows the ability to diagnose, understand what his role is in the defensive scheme and go make a play. Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Kip Lewis's ability to just diagnose and get downhill. You know, now a little bit different players, although kind of similar in size, you know, Kip Lewis isn't the biggest linebacker, uh, but Jonah, he's obviously going to be somebody that plays a lot more comfortably in space uh, as a cover player. And, 
you know, you add that to a safety room that continues to get better year after year after year under Brandon Hall, it's going to be especially important as you go into the SEC to continue to stack these five-star defensive talents. And if you're able to land Jonah Williams, that marked the third season in a row that you were able to land a five-star prospect, the fourth five-star defender in three in the last three cycles, if you do land him joining a Peyton Bowen, Adepoju, Adewari, and David Stone, that gives you the makings of a defense that can go into the SEC and then and challenge not just for a college football playoff berth, which we'll discuss the new format coming up in the next segment, but to be able to go and challenge Alabama, to challenge LSU and Ole Miss and Georgia, Tennessee for an SEC title. You've got to be able to stack elite talent, not just blueprint blue chip prospects. That's great. You got to be able to do that. But when you have those elite talents that are out there available and you're the favorite for right now, you got to finish the recruitment. You got to land it. You got to get that signature faxed in uh, on signing day, because that's how you're going to take your defense from being pretty good to getting it to that elite level that Brent Venables expects it to get to. Yeah, it's uh, fun flipping on the highlight tape and watching this young man play football. He, as you said, does a lot of things well. The ability to diagnose, get downhill, wrap up, make a tackle. Obviously, what he does with the football in his hands, uh, able to read the quarterback's eyes, go make a play. And then once he has, again, the football in those hands, once he's got it in that bread basket, in those paws, look out because Jonah Williams is a bona fide playmaker with the the rock in his hands. So this is the type of talent, along with the, the other names that you mentioned, John, that, look, you start stacking that type of playmaker, those types of playmakers, and all of a sudden you've got a defense that is among the nation's finest. You've got a defense that, look, uh, this type of player, with some of the other players uh, that you mentioned, well, now you're entering Alabama. Now you're entering Georgia territory. Now you're entering – uh, you know, Ohio State territory at times what they've had defensively on different occasions. So this is a big-time talent potentially for Oklahoma, a la a, a Bowen in the defensive backfield. Obviously, oh, you could employ him in a couple of different ways. If they wanted to go the cheater route, he would be a natural fit there. I think uh, safety would obviously make sense for Jonah Williams. Probably if they even wanted to beef him up and say linebacker could be a possibility for Jonah Williams, though I think he just watching his tape looks like he would make more sense uh, being being able to to get out and cover in space a little bit. But, man, I mean, you're talking about somebody that has Texas and Alabama and a number of other programs on the radar. This would be a massive recruiting win for Oklahoma if they can find it. Yeah, and, and you know, by 2025, you're you're losing Billy Bowman. You know, that 2025 season could theoretically be Peyton Bowen's last in Norman. Uh, you know, Robert Spears Jennings was a part of that 2022 recruiting cycle. That could be his last season. So you're, you're going to start seeing a, quite a bit of turnover. Now, you pair him with a Reggie Powers and a Jaden Hardy, who are 2024 signings, uh, Michael Boganowski, Michael Patterson McDonald. Like that may, that's going to make for a pretty, pretty stacked safety group in 2025, but you're going to need all of those dudes to step up, especially because you're not going to have Billy Bowman. You could be without Peyton Bowen because that, I guess, 23, that could be his last season. So going into 2026, I mean, Jonah is going to be a big part of this defense's future if you're able to land that signing. And, and I think this is one of those players that kind of helps set the tone 
for defensive recruiting because he is so highly coveted, so highly thought of, not just you know in the Texas football scene, but nationally as well. So if you could land him, what does that do for Oklahoma's recruiting on the defensive side of the ball for 2025? Does it does it have a, a David Stone effect where it kind of creates a little bit of gravity and draws other players to Oklahoma that may not have considered it otherwise because they say, oh man, this, this kid who's got all these elite power five offers, he's going to Oklahoma. Well, maybe I give that a second thought, uh, maybe like a Jaden Jackson, you know, Jaden Jackson was looking to be heavily going towards, you know, Texas or Miami, you know, not towards Oklahoma, but obviously had a little bit of David stone chirping and then made that visit. And it was on the visit that he just felt like he was at home and everything changed for him and ended up obviously committing and signing with the Sooners. So who knows what kind of gravitational pull a guy like Jonah Williams could have, but anytime that you get a five-star, it's going to have an effect on your recruiting class, not just in the rankings, but just in your ability to recruit when you can say, Hey, you want to come play defense at Oklahoma? Well, look, we're going to have a guy like Jonah Williams patrolling the back end at safety. So if you, you know, Hey, we got it. We're just going to have elite athletes across the board at, him playing safety is going to make your job as a corner a lot easier or your job at linebacker a lot easier or your job as a pass rusher a lot easier. So it'll be fascinating to see just how that recruitment plays out when potentially a commitment could occur. Uh, and I, I, I assume at this point it's going to be Oklahoma. If, if it's somebody else, it would be really, really shocking to me. We got a little college football playoff expansion format news on tuesday we're going to discuss exactly how it's going to break down what it might mean for oklahoma how it would have helped oklahoma in 2023 coming up next here on locked on sooners and today's episode is brought to you by game time again go download that game time app use promo code locked on for twenty dollars off your first purchase it's the best place to get last minute tickets they have elite deals uh, for those last minute tickets, even up to an hour after the game or the event starts, you can get those over at game time. Right now I'm looking at gametime.co on my browser and I'm looking at Clippers at Thunder for $19 in section 318. Uh, you want to sit lower level? I mean, I'm, I'm still looking at under 200 bucks if you want to get a lower level seat. Uh, to see the Thunder, who are one of the best teams in the Western Conference right now. So go to gametime.co, use promo code locked on for $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's da- uh, gametime.co. Download GameTime today, last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed at GameTime in your App Store or Google Play Store. All right, Josh, we got college football playoff expansion news from the college football playoff committee. They settled on a format of five automatic bids and seven at-large bids for the expanded 12-team playoff. Now, those five automatic bids will go to the five highest-ranked conference champions, and then your seven at-large bids go to the next seven highest-ranked teams in the college football playoff rankings. So this is fascinating in that it could end up in a lot of interesting dynamics at play now 2023 was kind of a clean example of how this could all play out because your five highest ranked conference champions were your five top teams in the college football playoff rankings you know in in michigan and texas and washington and alabama and florida state and then your next seven were were pretty straightforward you didn't have any any surprises you know there wasn't an aac team like a cincinnati 
that would have been in there. Although Cincinnati is now in the Big 12 or like a two-lane that would have been in there to kind of disrupt how the, the rankings go. However, there is a scenario in the future where, hey, maybe it, it what if a nine and three LSU, what if they win the, the SEC? Now they're probably one of the top 12 teams, but they could potentially be one of the five highest ranked uh, conference champions. So uh, what do you make of the, the new format? I kind of like how, okay, it kind of removes the idea of a group of five team automatically getting a bid. Um, although somebody did say like this kind of doesn't really change much for them, but I argue that, okay, the pack two could still potentially qualify for that bid as a quote unquote conference champion. If they're able to get ranked higher than a American athletic or a Mac, uh, Sunbelt, uh, conference champion. It, uh, is the most logical initial step because of the way that the college football playoff, uh, board of directors was originally designed here. The board of managers, they had to have a unanimous decision, John. So there was no way they were getting to the expanded format where it was four highest ranked champions and eight at large bids, right? Because what would that mean? Well, that basically means that uh, you don't get a guaranteed seat for one of the power champions that, well, isn't the, the big four in the SEC Big 10, Big 12, and ACC. So this was always going to be the most likely outcome as soon as the Pac-12 started dissolving because, again, you had to have everybody, all of the conference powers that be, agree on this in a unanimous uh, in a unanimous decision. And so, obviously, we get the five highest-ranked champions and the, the seven at-larges. I don't know that uh, this is the final form, We'll wind up with, uh, when we look five, ten years back down the road, I could see things uh, changing to where there's not even necessarily a guarantee to conference champions, that it's just the top 16 teams, and that's what we do. But uh, for a lot of people, for the sake of inclusion, this will, I think, mostly outside of, say, the Big Ten or the SEC be met with, okay, I think they got it right. I really hope that we don't see a format that, doesn't involve a conference championship game because I like the conference championship weekend. I think it's a really, really fun part of college football every season. And it does create opportunity where maybe it wouldn't have been there. Now things are changing a little bit when, as you go away from divisions, uh, you know, you're still getting the two kind of quote unquote best teams in each conference regardless so maybe that's going to get get away from it. But I, I still like the conference championship thing, especially because if that conference championship gives you a higher seed in the playoff ranking, then potentially you could either get a buy or you could host a first round matchup, which that's the part of this that I really, really like is that those first round games between seeds five through 12, those are going to be on campus games. So if you look at the, the 2023 season, Oklahoma would have traveled to Tallahassee to play Florida state. How fun would that have been now? Yes. Down Jordan Travis, but still a pretty tough FSU defense. Dylan Gabriel and the Oklahoma Sooners high octane offense would have gone down to Tallahassee and, and potentially could have earned themselves a, a, a spot in the quarterfinals, which might've led to a, 
you know, a, a matchup with Alabama, or you would have gotten an Oregon versus Mizzou matchup, two really, really good offenses going at it. So I think it would, it would have been a lot of fun to have some of these on-campus battles. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out in 2024, because man, that is going to be such an electric environment to have a playoff game. I mean, these college football atmospheres are already fantastic, especially when you're talking about the SEC and the Big Ten. They're incredible. And so you get on-campus playoff stakes. You're, you got to be kidding me, man. That is going to be amazing come next December. One thing I think they got wrong, wrong here and needs to be changed in the future, the four highest-ranked conference champions will all be seated one through four. And so they all have first-round buys. And I, I just, you know, where we're headed in college football, I think there's going to be plenty of examples and we've seen these examples over the last however many years, the SEC and the Big Ten are going to house the top four teams more, more years than not. So the the idea that the top four teams, that two of them aren't coming from the SEC or Big Ten, probably isn't very honest with what we're going to be watching and seeing in college football. So that's something that I think down the road – Probably uh, if you stay at 12, right? I think there's a chance that you expand, John, and it gets to 16 teams down the road. But where, we, where we're at right now, I do think that's a mistake. Well, I think, you know, one, one season that's like the, the perfect example of that, I think, is the 2022 season. We don't have to go very far because you look at the top four teams and Georgia, Michigan, one and two, they were undefeated you know, champions of the SEC and the Big Ten. Well, then you had TCU at number three. They didn't win the Big 12. Kansas State did. Ohio State was number four. They didn't win the the Big Ten. Michigan did. Uh, and then, you know, you're looking at number five, Alabama. Obviously, Georgia won the SEC. Number six, Tennessee didn't win the SEC. Uh, Clemson was at number seven. They won the ACC, I believe. Uh, and then you had Utah who won the Pac-12. Uh, Kansas State came in at number nine in the final college football playoff rankings and won the Big 12. So like by them winning the Big 12, if they like, what would what would they have been? I think they would have been like the fourth highest ranked. They would have been the um, number four. They would have been number four. So how much more valuable is that conference championship game if you can be the four seed and get a bye and go play in a New Year's Six Bowl versus being the number nine seed and then having to face off against, let's see, if you're the nine seed, you'd have played the 10. I mean, Kansas State versus USC. I mean, that could have been a really fun matchup that USC would have lost because, of course, Lincoln Riley can't contain Chris Kleiman. But it, it would just make so much for, for so much more um, interesting matchups, you know, if you had to bump TCU down you know, to the sixth seed or something like that, because they didn't win their conference championship. So I don't know. It's fascinating. And, and each year is going to be a little bit different. I, again, 2023 was a clean, clean college football playoff ranking aside from, you know, Florida state getting potentially left out as an undefeated. But I think other, you have a lot of years where that's not going to be as clean. And I think even moving forward, we'll see that where, you know, you'll have two teams from the sec that are in the top three or, or two teams from the big 10, because just that's just where the power is at right now. And that's where a lot of the, the, the focus for college football is going to be in, in especially weighting these rankings, just like the big 12 and basketball gets weighted so heavily. The same is going to be true for the big 10 and the sec. It, it uh, where we currently sit, depending on how long we stay here, it's a big time win 
for those that stay at least initially in the Big 12 and ACC and maybe long-term for those because for those two respective conferences, basically your champion has a one-way ticket into the semifinal round of the college football playoff, which means you don't have to win as many games theoretically to go be a national champion. And in a couple of instances, maybe you get hot at the right time and uh, who knows what happens when you get in there. Whereas, you know, the SEC and big 10, you're going to be beating yourself up all season. And unless you are that conference champion, well, obviously you're, you're not going to not going to be in the, the top four with the way this is currently situated. So interesting. I could see it move to 16 simply because, Georgia, you know, how often are they? They're, they're not going to be hosting a home playoff game very often because if they continue on this trajectory, they'll be getting a buy more often than not. But that gate, the, the revenue that could come to your town, that's going to be a lot. And if those top teams are missing out on that, you're going to see those conference commissioners start pushing for 16 so that their, their big ballyhooed programs are going to get an opportunity to host a home playoff game and, and increase the revenue that comes uh, to that, that college and that city and, and things like that. So man, it college football playoff expansion is not over just like realignment never stops. Uh, and so we'll see where it goes from here. Speaking of things that never stop and that is uh staffing changes. And there are a couple for Oklahoma on the football side of things this week. And we'll discuss those coming up next here on Locked On Sooners. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel. That's America's number one sports book because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. You can bet on all of your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. Obviously, OKC, they return on Thursday after the All-Star break, playing host to a very good Los Angeles Clippers team. The number right now, OKC favored by two. So OKC minus two, they're minus 130 on the money line over under 237 and a half points. If it was the all-star game, you'd slam that over uh, right now in the NBA. But hey, check them out. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. There were several uh, changes to Oklahoma's administrative staff uh, this week. Uh, J.R. Sandlin, a director of player personnel, moved on to SMU to take, quote unquote, their general manager position, which apparently is now a thing uh, in college athletics. I, I, at least I didn't know that it was a thing. Has it been a thing or is it new, Josh? Uh, yeah, I mean, it feels like it's new, right? And I'd never heard that title mentioned in college football until J.R. Sandlin left for SMU. And then, lo and behold, Oklahoma elevates uh, a general manager who is, of course, Curtis Lofton. So, yeah, what do you make of the the shuffling there? So, you know, you, you read some of the reports, um, you know, from Colin Kennedy over at Sooners Illustrated, and it sounds like, you know, Curtis Lofton had kind of been operating in this quote-unquote general manager role where it's going to be a lot of the NIL focus. Um, but, I, but I think what it'll, what it'll do is also kind of coordinate some of the recruiting efforts with the on-campus, the NIL, the player personnel stuff, you know, there'll be somebody that's overseeing, you know, that group of people, much like the general manager might do in, in the NFL, where they're overseeing the, you know, the, the player personnel department, the scouting department, 
um, you know, the coaching department as well, uh, finance, things like that, just how it all kind of come, comes under their umbrella and they're able to coordinate a little bit more and, and keep everybody on the same page. I like the, the move to elevate, you know, Curtis Lofton, who's been a part of the soul mission and the director of that for the last several years, we've seen what the soul mission has been able to accomplish on the recruiting trail and, and how it's really uh, made waves uh, with families and, and prospects who who really value life beyond football and are looking to make sure that they kind of have some security in life after football. And, and so, you know, he's done a really, really good job there, just kind of overseeing that kind of critical part of Oklahoma football. So I like the move uh, of elevating Curtis Lofton. Again, it's an Oklahoma guy. It's a Brent Venables guy, someone who's going to kind of keep in step with Brent Venables and what his vision and mission is for Oklahoma football. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, general manager feels like an NFL term, and yet here we are in, in college football. And the, the power structure of it is sort of reversed, I guess, too, right, to where the general manager reports to the head coach in college football, and really it's the opposite in the National Football League. So I think that's throwing myself and probably others for a little bit of a curveball here, just hearing that term, mm -hmm. GM. Uh, but, you know, look, if we break down the role to uh, – managing name image likeness managing the roster well now that is a and probably there's more to it than that for curtis lofton just because again he has been uh, the last couple of years involved in soul mission at oklahoma and we know with brent venables and ou that that's not something that is just a fly-by-night operation it's something that they value it's something that uh, it's a core principle it's a core belief for Oklahoma, what soul mission is all about. So I'm sure that uh, he has some oversight as well uh, with soul, Mi soul mission still a little bit too. So it's not just, okay, dealing with name image likeness. What do valuations look like? What do our roster numbers look like? It's that probably both of those. And then uh, even a little bit more. So good for Curtis Lofton. He's been uh, uh, from everything you hear a key piece for Oklahoma the last several years. The other move that uh, occurred in this is being reported and it's not, I haven't seen anything official on it yet. Uh, Jolie Ale is going to be stepping into the uh, on-campus recruiting director role that was uh, vacated by Lee Davis when she left for UCF for an assistant athletic director position uh, with the Knights. Uh, Jolie Ale spent time on USC's staff uh, before Lincoln Riley got there and then went to Utah was part of Kyle Whittingham's staff there uh, before spending a couple seasons with the Los Angeles Chargers in the PR department. So she's going to come be that on-campus rec recruiting director, the person that is really um, charged with the hospitality aspect of recruiting for official, unofficial visits, and just kind of coordinating all of Oklahoma's efforts to make recruits and their families feel welcomed and and really enhance that experience for them when they're on campus so that they leave, you know, feeling like they had a great visit, you know, every time. And, and that's going to be what her charge is. And I'm sure, again, this is going to be where Curtis Lofton kind of comes in as a general manager, helping the on-campus recruiting director, the sole mission, everybody kind of be on the same page when these big visits happen, these big junior days and the champion barbecue and you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Probably can't say it enough that whoever, succeeds lee davis and 
certainly looks like it's AL. The reports are that it's AL, though we haven't, I guess, uh, seen anything official necessarily on either front, have we, with Lofton or AL? But uh, there, there's enough reporting, reportering happening out there that you feel comfortable that that is indeed what's going to happen on, on both fronts. But the director of on-campus recruiting is one of the most important jobs uh ancillary jobs for a football staff because look your roster is your lifeblood mm -hmm. and the talent acquisition is your lifeblood and obviously uh, the director of recruiting uh, of on-campus recruiting is involved in every piece of you know what the experience is like for a recruit for their families organizing their visit to Norman. So you really can't overstate the importance of that individual. No, not at all. And you, you saw just what that position meant whenever Lee Davis left and the prospects and the families that came and, and offered her encouragement and, and their, their appreciation and gratitude for her efforts uh, while she was at Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, she was great. And, and Jolie, Jolie Ale, I mean, she's got a great background as well. That's going to be able to come in and provide and enhance Oklahoma's uh, on-campus recruiting efforts as well. It's, it's huge because those official visits, those unofficial visits, those junior days, the champion barbecue, none of that goes off without a really, really good on-campus recruiting director. And she's got great experience um, at big time programs. Uh, and now at the NFL, that gives her a little bit more insight that she can also pass off to recruits as well. So it's a really interesting experience that she's got that she can use to enhance the recruits experience whenever she come, they come to Norman. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of the show. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. So hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop. Follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on Ref here on Monday through Friday on the KRF Sports app from 9 to noon and on OU Baseball broadcast as well sometimes this spring. Uh, follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can read my work covering the Sooners over at Sooners Wire. Uh, stay tuned for our show with Alex Taraco coming a little bit later this week. Uh, it's going to be a fun time to break down everything that happened in Lake Charles this past week and then a look ahead to this week at the Mary Nutter Classic. But until next time, he's Josh. I'm John. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>